0: This week on Dig Me Out. I
1: cut you in.
0: Oh, let's go for a bar. I cut you in. You ain't leaving at all. I cut you in. Let it go to your head. I cut you in. Part time friends. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi.
1: Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, actually, I just lied. Uh, This episode was not brought to us by the Dig Me Out Union. This episode is, it's a pretty big deal, Jay. We're inventing something. It's called a crossover. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Jay. (laughs) But it's when two properties meet up together uh in the middle it's never been done before in the history of entertainment and we're really excited wait a minute <laughs> steven the intern just texted me and he said this is not um groundbreaking
0: but we've, we- <laughs> i know crossovers from uh all my years of watching scooby-doo
1: well there's <laughs> the, the when the Harlem
2: globetrotters would show up on scooby-doo yes there's also you know yes exactly <laughs> Uh, they have wrestlers one time too from like WWE or something like that (laughs) there I believe there's like uh there's an episode of like uh
1: I want to say like friends and mad about you there's a crossover episode of that so we decided um you know what what an awesome opportunity would be to cross over with another music podcast now, we've, we've gone on to other people's podcasts and other podcasters have come on here, but this is actually, we're going to do back-to-back episodes of each other's podcast. It's going to be, this is, this is going to be something special. And uh, the man who actually, like, started the ball rolling, joining us from, from uh, Pennsylvania and it's 30 or 20 electoral votes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Drew Zachman from the Songs Gone
2: Wrong podcast. Welcome, Drew. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Always, uh, always enjoy your guys' show, and I'm looking forward to this particular episode, too. So can, be- before we get into this
1: episode and what we're doing, can you share with the audience what Songs Gone Wrong is all about?
2: Yeah, sure. So Songs Gone Wrong, we, each episode we talk about just one song. And we usually we talk about songs That are a bit more popular Because uh, People know them So it's Easier for people To kind of recognize What we're talking about And What we do is We decide uh, My co-host and I If those songs are legit hits Or did the, Are they You know Songs that went wrong And You know we have a couple of different criteria that we use and we kind of compare the song to the rest of the album, see how it kind of fit in there. We, you know, talk about the lyrics. We do a good deep dive into the song, meaning things like that, and compare it to the other songs on the billboard hot 100. And, you know, what we do is we, you know, we have our verdict at the end of the episode and the final verdict, uh, which we also reach out to our fans on and listeners on Twitter is we have them involved as well. And they provide their feedback to see if they think it was a legit hit or song gone wrong. So it's kind of like a fun little debate show. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree. Uh, we try not to yell. So it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun talking about some of those songs and especially some of the ones that maybe we haven't listened to in a couple years, you know, and you, you sure. go back and it's like, you know what, maybe this one's not so bad. So, and sometimes things hold up. Sometimes they don't. So. It's pretty. It's pretty fun. I, I enjoy that show. How did uh, how did right uh, said Fred shake out? How'd that one go? Oh, that one. Uh, that one turned out to be a legit hit. So I my my co-host did not think it was. I think that song is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> nice. yeah, the and and the, and the listeners, yeah, the listeners, they they thought it was uh, a legit hit as well. So right said Fred, held up. And you and you
1: said, hey, what do you guys want to do? And Jay and I debated this for, for like days. We had all sorts <laughs> of songs going back and forth. We were like, well, do we want like a pop hit? Should we go with something alternative rock? Cause we want to do something from the nineties. And I and obviously you have done stuff that's not necessarily nineties. And, um, uh, Jay, I
0: think Jay was the one who suggested tub thumping by Chumbawumba. Well, uh, I suggested, let's start post 95. Cause to me, that's when all the sort of one hand wonders started to happen and things got weird. And I think we identify was in 97 where it was like, okay, yeah, 97 yeah. is really weird. It's and a we weird year started going through like the top 100 rock tracks from that year. And that was one of the first ones amongst, you know, 60, 60 others where you're like, oh, wow, that was a thing. And that was a thing. And wow, that was weird. Um, that really stood out. So.
1: Yeah. Yes. So we'll be talking about that. But first we've got to talk about an album on this podcast. What is the album we're going to be talking about? Uh Drew told us uh, he gave us a, a couple options. I said, That's the one I want to do. That th- that's the one that like has been actually on my mind for a while. Like, we got to get to this one. Um, share with everybody, Drew, the album that we're gonna be doing. And how did it end up on your list?
2: Yeah, so the album we are talking about today, it's Boggy Depot from Jerry Cantrell, his first solo album. Uh, the Right after uh, Alice Chains, well, I guess the first iteration of Alice Chains kind of went their separate ways. And that came out in 1998. And for me, I'm actually a huge Allison Chains fan. I loved all their albums. I don't think they put out a bad song. Just a band that I really had an attachment with, you know, all throughout like uh, middle school and high school. And when Jerry went solo, I was, you know, one of the first people at the store to get it. So I was pretty excited for, for that album. So I was like, you know what, let's uh, let's talk about this one.
1: And this was released, like you mentioned in, um, end, uh, end of March was the vinyl and the beginning of April was the CD, uh, in 1998 it was produced by Toby Wright, along with Jerry Cantrell, who had worked on a number of Alice in Chains releases. And interestingly, Jay, you mentioned about kiss, uh, he started working on this record after Allison Chains opened up for Kiss at the reunion show in Detroit. And um, they started working on this in um, mid 97 through the fall. It was recorded at a couple different studios, and um, three singles were released Cut You In in January of 98, My Song in May of 98, and then Dick Eye in. Uh, december of ninety eight. I don't know how you play Dick Eye on the air, but that's so fun. That's okay. How do you announce how do you announce that song? That was Dick Eye by <laughs> Jerry Cantrell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and um there interestingly, this was one of those first albums that took advantage of the internet. So when Boggy Depot was being promoted um on jerrycantrell.com, they actually put up song clips and a music video in QuickTime very interesting in 1998 to have a quick time
0: video it was not easy to watch video <laughs> on the internet at this no. time <laughs> no usually I had to download some plugin or real your real no, audio player Real audio player. player
2: i don't know what 50 or 56k modem if we were lucky back then get yeah. get a you know, win skin to, to and, customize your <laughs> win player and it
0: would be the size of a postage stamp right exactly <laughs> with 16 colors
1: so, and this is, um, I believe he's only put out two solo albums, right? Degradation Trip is the second one. And then he, and then obviously, uh, th- this was after, not, a- I, I don't think Alice in Chains officially broke up, but it was just a, a period where they were not together. And then Lane Staley passed away from a drug overdose. And then there was no Alice in Chains for a while. And then Alice in Chains reformed, uh, a couple of years later, with William Duvall, and that's the end of Jerry Cantrell's solo career. At that point, um, we did get some comments over at Patreon. We'll get into, we'll, we'll release the results of the poll a little bit later. But Richard Waterman said, "I love Boggy Depot, and it is so much better than Degradation Trip. It's basically Alice in Chains, uh, obviously without Lane Staley." Even Toby Wright is producing In saying that the vocal production overall sound is very different to Alice Chains. It's just different enough to stand out, but be familiar. I'm sure some of these songs were meant for Alice Chains, but were kept over. The instrumentation is more experimental, like with the use of horns. The first three tracks are some of his best work ever. I love the track Keep the Light On, but my favorite track is Cold Peace. Great drum track by Sean Kinney. The use of piano as well as clavinet or other horns is a nice touch. The second part of the song is awesome. The boys might have an issue with the length of the album though. This is a long record, Jay. This is 62 minutes and 34 seconds. It's a long record. You're going to do it's a double vinyl. Uh the John Beatles Seaman.
0: Are, the Beatles never made a record that long, but No, they I'm made sure. two
1: records in that amount of time. <laughs> Uh, John Stevens says, I'm going with Worthy Album, but I could accept an argument for better EP. Favorite tracks, my song, Settling Down, Jesus Hands, Heard a Long Time in Between. And Phil Fleming says, Boggy Depot has all the attributes of an Alice in Chains record while treading new ground. When Alice in Chains reformed, I was kind of hoping there would be more mom- moments of levity like this record. I wouldn't expect to cut you in, but I also wouldn't expect a doubling down on the sludge either. Interesting. I have maybe we can get into that later, but I have some thoughts about why that happened with the uh, with the Allison Chain's crew going a little sludgier second time around. Uh, but let's get into it. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Boggy Depot by Jerry Cantrell.
0: I like the. Uh, I guess it's uh, somewhat what what some of the comments are saying. Like that's familiar, um, but from a production and just i think even songwriting standpoint it goes in some places that um, Allison Chains just can't go uh i like from a production standpoint that it's a it just sounds a little more i guess simple i mean it is it, they do explore different instruments and different types of songs but it just sounds a little drier um it's not as overall like is dark sounding and like almost a I'm thinking of like dirt it just that record is just like so heavy and the in the yeah third record same thing it is even heavier than that so it has a little more air in it this record does and a song like "Dick guy like it has a great riff you know a very Alice in Chains type riff but there's just something about it the way it's produced and the feel it just has this energy that you don't here on Ellison Change other than maybe the first record. There's like a a little bit of a it's a little brighter. It's a little maybe a little faster tempo, just a little nudge. that's one of the songs where you're like okay yeah this could have been an Alice Chain Chains song but I can hear kind of the difference like I wouldn't confuse this um, for an Alice in Chains song directly but I can see that it's the same songwriter and there's some of the same ideas are the same um, I like his voice a lot and you can definitely hear you know he'll do the Alice Chain style harmonies and, and, and even use some of the melodies that they would, you know, use on the records. But he also does stuff that he wouldn't, you would never hear on one of the records, you know, pushing a little bit more air, being more expressive, using melodies that are a little bit more, you know, major sounding, less drone-y. Um So I like hearing that too, just that range. It brings another, um, I guess, a, a little bit of a lighter feel to some of this material. Um And, yeah, I mean, it does explore some different, just overall, sonically, some different things you would never hear um, him do in Alice in Chains, whether it be, you know, using other instruments, um, horns or piano. Um, You know, obviously they did some acoustic stuff, but, you know, it stretches um, a little bit there in terms of the instrumentation. So I think you get the songwriting that's somewhat familiar. Um, You definitely get the vocal sound that's familiar. You get some riffs that are familiar, but then there's like a whole other half of this equation that's new and and fresh sounding um, that you would never get on an Allison change record and probably shouldn't. you know I, I think this is a good in that way, it's a good example of if you're going to do a solo record, or if you if you're going to explore and, and kind of push the boundaries, but your band has a very definitive sound, like a solo record is not a bad way to go, where you can kind of do that. you don't have any rules necessarily, but you don't run the risk of like kind of alienating or confusing what your primary band's about. Um, so I, I, I kind of respect that aspect of it as well so his decision to go ahead and make a, a solo record out of this material.
1: Drew, what, uh, what works best for you on this record?
2: Um, I think, I think Jay touched on a little bit, but I think kind of like the experimentation, you know, kind of like getting away from his comfort zone, kind of getting away from that Allison Chan's kind of sludgy sound, but still holding on to it enough so you know who he is. Uh, I, th- I think another thing that really, because at this time, right, so they did Unplugged in 96, and around this time, this is 98, when this came out, like you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen, right? Was Allison Chan's going to stay together? What, what was going on with Lane, right? Was he going to you know, kind of clean up and be able to, you know, keep writing more music with them. But I think when you heard this album, you, I mean, you realize with Alice and Chains, like how uh, uh, integral Cantrell was to the band. But when you hear him solo, I feel like you're like, wow, this guy really is kind of like the, maybe like the heart and maybe the brains of Alice Chains. Whereas Lane Staley was kind of like the soul of Alice Chains a little bit. You know what I mean? And when you heard that, it was like, okay. And it basically was Alison Change, right? Because you had Mike Inez on bass, you had uh, Sean Kitty, who was a highly underrated drummer, uh, and then you had a couple other guys. You had Les Claypool on there. You had Rex from Pantera on there, you know, chipping in on some of the bass duties. But I, I feel like one of the one of the good things about those that you knew whatever direction they went in, they, you were still in good hands with Jerry Cantrell because he still had that sound. He still had that songwriting ability. And I think, uh, you know, that along with some of the experimentation, right, my, uh, one of the, you, you still get some of the riffs, right? Like you have, like, like Dick guy has kind of a, a little bit more of a quicker Alice in Chains type feel to it, um, but Settling Down, love that song. It's fantastic, you know, so it's, you know, it starts off with the piano and then it, it builds very nicely. So there's a lot of, lot of good stuff there, so...
1: I agree with you on the, um, there's touches of Alice in Chains, but in the right way, like keep the light on has a great Alice in Chains style riff Correct. that reminds me of like, damn that river or, exactly. yeah, you know, that and that's, I like those more up-tempo songs. Um, I'm not like a big down in a hole fan. Like that, that kind of stuff is, or rooster you know, I've heard those songs a billion times. I don't need to like wallow in that anymore. But if something heavy comes on, like Them Bones, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to hear that. And Keep the Light On totally reminded me of that. And I I think what I heard from this record was um, where Alice in Chains had been, but also where it could have gone. Like when I listen to Cut You In, I, I think that's a really, really good song. And I remember the single when it came out being like, wow, there's horns on this song. I didn't ever think Jerry Cantrell would write a song with, with horns on it. And then I realized like if, if Lane Staley had been clean and been able to get his act together, like w- what, what would he have done with that song? Like, even if he just kept the same melody and everything, you know, could he have transitioned into a, a dip, you know, just not this dour, um, uh, you know, sort of sad sax singer that he's sort of associated with um i wonder if he could have you know sort of evolved in the way that like scott wyland evolved between core and big bang you know uh, or tiny music like there was a huge evolution for that band and for scott wyland as a performer and i wonder if that could have happened for lane staley but without you know knowing where that was going to go there's so much stuff on here that you can hear lane staley's um individual sort of influences popping through. There's there's less of the I think of it as like the, the Black Sabbath sludge that is on a lot of the early stuff. Um, and that's sort of stripped back. And you hear him, you hear him um sort of getting into a lot of almost Americana sounds with with blues and 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 countryish style riffs that are you heard that very, very minimally. You know, I'm thinking like a song like "Don't Follow" from Allison Chains. Like that's almost got uh, is almost like a where this was gonna go years later. Where you can hear him. I think he grew up like sort of in the Midwest originally. Yep. I don't, I don't think he was from Seattle originally. So you can hear a much broader palette that he's drawing from. I also think that he's a little bit unleashed on this record which is cool as a guitar player like this is a guitar player's record there's guitar stuff happening all over this record that's really cool and he's getting into like his rock uh tendencies on a lot of this that are uh not as on display like everybody knew he was a really good guitar player in Alice in Chains even if when he was like kind of holding back like if you think about like wood wood is very minimal i mean it's a great song but his guitar playing is like almost non-existent in that song until the really the end of it whereas on this record he is you know i don't know how many different guitars he used but i'm assuming he went through an arsenal of different you know guitar tones and and you could hear him busting things out uh for different uh sounds all over the record so I really enjoyed hearing that because it would just, in in a lot of ways, it's just like um, the guitar player <laughs> getting to shred uh, as much as he wants, uh, which was probably a little bit you know more reined in during the Alice in Chains years. So you definitely
0: hear more influences on this record than on an Alice in yeah. Chains record. Like I can hear Pink Floyd on "Breaks My Back." I can hear a little bit of Jimmy Page on "Devil by Your Side." You know that riff in the chorus. like oh that's kind of sound, very Zeppelin um keep the lights on though you can that does sound like House Chains. Chains. it also could be like tone wise that's a very pantera like riff um it, it sounds even tuned to that kind of pantera sound so you like you hear all of these other things present and past um that i don't think you could ever hear on a house and Chains record at least as the band was going because to your point with lane staley they just kept getting darker and darker like yeah facelift is probably the most like most optimistic brightest sounding record they ever made and then by the time you get to the self-title it's just game over (laughs) yeah it is so dark and heavy and like you're not they were not going to turn back from that so um it's cool you almost get a power
1: ballad on this record jay heard a long time is is almost a power ballad
0: uh yeah it sure is we better get to the things we don't like before you them.
1: <laughs> i was like when, there's parts in that chorus where i'm like this sounds this almost could be enough's enough like there is some serious power balance um, stuff going on I heard, here
0: i heard somebody else but
1: oh okay okay so what didn't work for you on this record jay <laughs>
0: um you know it doesn't need to be an hour and god however long it is um no it's indulgent so, yeah so i mean Almost every song is over four minutes. We're getting, you know, six, seven, eight minutes long songs. Um, so that that's knock number one. And, and when this uh, and very few of them warrant that because they don't do anything beyond three minutes. So, like even Dick Eye, which is a great song, awesome hook. Three and a half minutes into that song, you're like, okay, we you can wrap it up now. There's no reason to go on another two and a half minutes because you're just yep. repeating the same parts over and over again. So it's, it's it's definitely not produced well. Like, it's engineered great. Sounds great. It's not produced well. Like, I didn't feel like a, somebody was sitting with him saying, like, hey, trim this down. This could be better. You could strengthen that. This sounds like he went and did a record he wanted to do, and however long the songs were, they were. Yeah. So in that aspect, I think even some of the stronger material suffers a little bit because it could just be trimmed up and sharpened. Then you get into some material that is either just boring um, or like "Satisfy" sounds a little like Black Hole Sun, heard a long time, sounds like a power ballad, and to me, I heard Creed. Um, <laughs> yeah. It has that very kind of like new metal power ballad kind of tone thing going on, which um not a huge fan of. whole piece has got some stuff going on that's kind of interesting but it's i don't know it doesn't um it, it sounds a little funky and then the chorus sounds like Dishwalla or something like it sounds very like generic alternative <laughs> Rocky.
1: i did not like, get Dishwalla. that was a that's a that's yeah, a yeah, go back and listen to that out.
0: chorus um so it, it just meanders into this kind of it like walks this line of being like okay allison chains and then you get like Alice and Chains plus extra sauce, which is cool. And then all of a sudden it starts going downhill of like, okay, now we're in this space of like generic alternative rock, um, that I don't enjoy as much. So, right. uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's my biggest criticism. Um, there's some things like, uh, is it cut you in that has the fretless base on it? Which I'm assuming is, uh, or no, settling down. It's settling down, yeah. Fretless bass all over it, which is like it's kind of okay, but then it's kind of. But then, oh my god, this is six and a half minutes of like fretless bass mayhem. When I kind of would like him just to calm down and just let me hear the song, Um, you know. So there's some things like that going on where it's like an experiment that is partially working but not fully. See, I think it's just overall inconsistent for me um, and certainly doesn't warrant an hour-plus record.
1: Jay, that is a legendary bass player John Norwood Fisher of the band Fishbone.
0: Okay. <laughs> just let you know.
1: Um, yeah, I, I had... I, I Honestly, like...
0: Maybe one more two- thing okay one more thing i just thought of i forgot um there is a ton of guitars it's very indulgent guitar wise it, it but the rhythm guitars are so loud that i can't hear his solo sometimes like i'm like oh he did a solo i, I like i'm trying to listen to him like i can barely hear it hmm. it's either pan far away or like the rhythm guitars are like they don't cut one out they just leave them both blaring so I found a lot of the extra guitar stuff to not be difficult to appreciate because the rhythm guitars are just so overpowering. It's almost like you know, don't even bother put the along because I can barely pay attention to it. Um, so I found that weird too. Like they couldn't. It's it, the the lead stuff is not mixed in a way that um, really makes those solos pop, and I think it would be cool if they did because I think they're the ideas are cool but right they're not the star of the mix
1: Drew does w- does anything not work for you or is this a you know top to bottom worthy album for you
2: Yeah I mean it's not it's not a slam dunk in that regard there there's a couple things um lyrically I thought it was just okay I wasn't blown away by his lyrics uh, the one song I think that was that really just, just really chapped my ass between uh, when he's like going to California. I'm like, Oh, it just, it just sounded very hokey to me. I don't know. I just could not get behind that song Mm -hmm. at all. Um, and there was a couple other like riffs in there that just sounded very, like, I think a little too familiar. So there was, I think it was Jesus hands. The intro riff there sounded very Pantera to me. Uh, kind of uh, reminiscent of This Love. I was like, that's pretty close to that. And then there was, oh, which song was it? Uh, Between, yeah. Uh, The opening guitar riff sounded very similar to uh, towards like the end in Over Now. So uh, those things just kind of bugged me a little bit. But again, that's, I mean, between two of my uh, critiques there were of the one song. So, um, but yeah, overall, I'm, I didn't, and and then the lyric the lyrically I was like, eh, yeah, it was okay, but it, was, it wasn't as you know depressing as listening to Lane's lyrics. So I was kind of happy about that, but <laughs> right. still, I still I, I feel like I kind of expected a little more from a, a seasoned musician. But yeah, those I think were my uh, main critiques. How about yours?
1: You know, it's really about length, and I think Jay Jay nailed it. Like there are a lot of songs here that could be trimmed by a minute to a minute and a half. And you can easily make, keep all 12 songs, but you could probably cut 20 minutes off of this record just based on trimming songs production wise. Um, I do like, I like cold piece. I like what he's trying to do there, but do that in four minutes, not eight minutes. You know, I I want him to try things and, and, you know, this is what your solo albums for is for, for getting away from what the main band is. Like we appreciate it, even though not everything was successful on Scott Weiland's, solo record, we still appreciated the fact that he tried some things that were weird and outside of his comfort zone and outside of what we were familiar with hearing Scott Whalen do, as opposed to the talk show record, which was very sort of like generic, uh, you know, Stone Table Pilots. And they were just trying to rehash a formula with a with a new singer and and not taking a lot of chances. So, like, I like hearing this. I like the, you know, like Cut You In has those horns, but also like a really jagged rhythm, which is really interesting. Um, I like that he is willing to stretch, but, you know, honestly, when you hit tracks four and five and it's 13 minutes of slow songs... Like that is a little much at the start of the record. Like that stuff should have been pushed back. I would have liked to have heard keep the light on a little bit earlier in the record. Um just to get some momentum going. Cause I feel like or or just break those two songs up. Cause there there's just a there are long stretches of you know, there's the back half is slow between satisfy and hurt a long time and between and it's just uh there's a lot of slowness on this record and it, those would have been helped by a lot of trimming. So I definitely felt like if, if there was a producer in the, in the rec, or in the studio with him, he was not making suggestions in terms of, of length. It was just capturing it and letting Jerry Kentel, Kentrell do whatever he wanted.
0: Cause uh, it's pretty indulgent for a solo artist yeah, to be. <laughs> The album cover looks like uh, Jerry just murdered the producer in the Boggy Depot. (laughs) (laughs) He's cleaning his hands off. Yeah, and just floated the body out. (laughs) Nice. Jerry
1: Cantrell, murderer. So this is Jay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll make this album however long I want. This did actually, you know, this did fairly well when it came out. Um, It made it to... Number twenty eight in the Billboard Top two hundred. Cut you in. I mean, it's number five on the mainstream rock tracks and number fifteen on the modern rock tracks. And I, I mentioned earlier, Jay, you 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 brought it up when you brought up the power ballad. Um, uh, heard a long time about it, sort of drifting into Creed power ballad tor- territory. I feel like when Allison James came back, the reason why they came back a lot heavier in some respects to what they were was realizing that the audience had changed. And I don't know if you, you know, agree with that or not, but there was no more like alternative radio that was playing Pearl jam. And, and, you know, if you think about the early two thousands, that was all consolidated yeah. and chewed up and spit out. And so you had like, it was all like new metal. It was like Lincoln park and Creed and Nickelback. So you kind of had to be like heavy, and then it also allowed to them to, like, sort of transition into those big, heavy um, tours and and festivals where they could play on the same stages like a Mastodon or you know those sort of bands, and especially in Europe where you know that sort of all gets mixed together, um, they don't have to worry about being an alternative rock band; they can just be a heavy band, and and sort of leave that aspect behind.
0: Yeah, I saw them, it would have been, what, 2000? Whenever the reunion, when the first record came out with William, um, was it 2011, maybe 12, somewhere around there? They had Lion, on there. Rock on the Range. Yeah. Um, which is that, all those bands you're talking about, is a festival for those bands. And they went over amazing. Like, for that reason, what you just said, like all the, the old stuff sounded super heavy, but everybody knew it. And the new stuff just sounded like all the new bands, you know what I mean? Just super heavy, down-tuned, like it was a you, you it all made sense. It was like oh shit, they've you know, really found a good spot to be in and like you could tell like they people just really were still into them. Like it was almost like they had never gone away. So well, they Whereas were Sound I saw components. Soundgarden play the same show and Soundgarden didn't go over the same way.
1: Right. Cuz Soundgarden got less and less heavy. Yep. And 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 Alice in Chains besides being, you know, the 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 core of a lot of those bands. Like you think about all those bands that felt like Godsmack, and yep. all those bands that like copied on that sound of that, you know, you tune, you tune down half a step and then you drop D the the tuning. So you get that really heavy, uh, guitar riff sound
0: and. And yeah, Soundgarden so many- was more, uh, can be more experimental too. It was like you had softer stuff, but then you also had stuff that was just fucking weird. <laughs> like, right. You know, so like that crowd was just—they wanted like just the down tune riffs that you know right at a at big a, outdoor festival just sound good, and you can run around and be an idiot. Yeah, and like, like burden like in my hands. Some chains was well. able. To, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were just okay. able to split that difference of like still having tons of credibility, but like completely working for that environment. Right.
1: So. We're at our critical point here in the record, or in the record, in the, uh, in the show, where we've gotta, we've gotta reach a conclusion on whether this is a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single. Our patrons have voted. I'll release that information shortly. But Jay, where do you land? Where the album, better EP, or decent single for Boggy Depot by Jerry Cantrell?
0: Oh, this is tough. Um, I'm going to caveat this a lot. I, I'm going to say EP to just be true and not like waffle. Um, I think it though, it could be a seventies album. <laughs> so I think you trim, trim up a, a lot of these songs. And then my track listing would be Dick. Eye, cut you in my song settling down breaks my back devil by his side, keep the light on. And then I would end with between, but I would do like between is more of like a, like a stripped down kind of thing, you know, just have them do it on acoustic and like really make it like a album ender that is a totally different kind of, make it a little bit more sentimental and like simpler sounding. And I think that would be a great 70s record that would probably bring you in around 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way it stands, I think it's a better EP.
1: Drew, where do you land on this record?
2: Yeah, I'm. Um, I feel like I could go either way. I, this would be an amazing EP. Uh, I feel like I feel like I'm going to go a worthy album, but it's. I feel like if you took maybe a couple songs off of Degradation Trip and put them on here, that would be a pretty kick-ass album. But um, I feel like this is an Album by the skin of its teeth, though. Uh, I agree. Dick, Eye cut you in. My song, Settling Down. I love Settling Down. It's probably one of my favorite songs. Uh, Besides Love, Hate, Love off Facelift, this is probably one of my favorite Jerry solos. Just the way it builds up is pretty awesome. Um, He also introduced that song during the the tripod recording sessions, and they wound up turning that one away, which I thought was interesting. Um, Breaks My Back is a good one. Jesus Hands, I like Devil By His Side, I think was okay keep the light on is good I liked satisfy so i I feel like there's I feel like there's nine eh, songs that you could put on an album but i it's 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 like a tweener I feel between an ep and a a full length album but I'll, I'll I'll give it the benefit of the doubt and I will give it a, a full album vote
0: and this is coming from a band who you know maybe made one of the best EPs of the nineties and Jar of Fly. So I could definitely oh, yeah. have seen this been almost, you know, a Jar of Flies like Alice in Chains record where it's a little off of what they typically do. Get it down to seven songs. Um, I could see, totally see that working.
2: No, I agree.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm
1: I'm right there with you, Jay, in the sense that it's a incredibly strong, like seven song EP. Um, but if you were to do a bunch of editing on the longer songs, it would easily be, you know, a, a nine song album in the 70s sense that would work perfectly for me. But it's just there's so much flab on a lot of these songs that need to be trimmed back that I just can't I can't give it the uh, the album approval. Uh, now, that is in contradiction to our patrons who voted 75 to 25 were the album over bender ep so drew they're with you all right we have uh we have betrayed our audience <laughs> and they will they will be uh overturning the electoral college Democracy uh they'll be removing the faithful electors and uh and taking us down <laughs> <laughs> so but this is not over folks because even though um this show is ending. We encourage you to now, uh, well, when this is over, to head on over to Songs Gone Wrong. And this, I don't, I don't know exactly when these two podcasts will launch. If it'll be the around the same time or, or whatnot, but uh, go over to the uh, to the website uh, Songs Gone Wrong. Well, you can go to Sounder FM, which is where they uh, you can find them, and then just also Songs Gone Wrong uh, dot com and uh look up the tub thumping episode because that's where jay and i are are heading right after this episode so drew thanks for uh coming on dig me out and doing this with us
2: yeah thanks for having me on uh, always always appreciate your guys work and uh looking forward to uh, talking about jumbo wumba
1: jumbo wumba <laughs> never thought we'd do that but here we are about to do that need to need to uh thank some uh, folks and suggest some things uh thanks to our patreon community of course uh if you want to sign up for the Box newsletter, you can do so at digmeoutpodcast.com It's where you can suggest an album and if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple podcasts for Jay, I am Tim and we are out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out yeah,
0: I'll be-